You are listening to The Secrets of Middle-Earth on sqpn.com. The battle for Middle-Earth is about to begin. Where do you travel to find Middle-Earth? This is not How can you fight the shadows of Angmar? created the dwarves. I thought I'd die fighting side by side with an elf. Why are elves immortal? You will linger on in darkness and in doubt. It's nightfall in winter that comes without a star. What is the ultimate evil of Sauron? Join me on a quest for answers through the books, the movies, and the games that tell us the legendary adventures of hobbits, dwarves, men, and elves in Tolkien's Middle-earth. Hello and welcome back to Rivendell, in the middle of the night for a new episode of The Secrets of Middle-earth. It's dark in Rivendell, it's in the middle of the night. In the background, you hear the sound of some of the waterfalls and the the, the other streams here. Crickets. Ooh, that sounded like a like a wolf in the background. I'm not sure. Anyway, here in Rivendell, it's quiet. Most of the elves are sleeping, I suppose. Actually, do elves sleep? I don't know. I should ask my friends. And I'm walking towards one of these very elegant curved bridges. And this one looks... A lot like that bridge that we saw in the movie where Arwen and Aragorn kiss. This very romantic scene, actually probably taking place around the same time. It was during the night and from this bridge we've got a beautiful view of the surroundings, the dark forests on the mountainside in the background and on the other side a few of the towers of the buildings downtown Rivendell <laughs> I'm not even sure you can talk about downtown Rivendell but I can see a few elves not as many as during daytime and I'm uh, walking a- around one of these buildings here towards a camp in the distance this is a skirmish camp. And this seems to be a place for elves to hang out and talk during the night. And there are even some musicians there playing the guitar or a lute. This is a very old elf. Well, they're all old, but this one actually looks old. <laughs> but he's still a very good guitar player for his age. Some other elves are... Uh, training their fighting skills on some dummies here probably preparing for battle because you never know when you meet the forces of Angmar and you have to defend yourself but I'm not gonna stay here in this camp I am actually um, heading to the guest quarters and if you recall we've been there before when we first entered Rivendell And that's where we met Aragorn, who was staying there with uh, Frodo and the rest of 
the team. Because in this episode, we want to talk about Aragorn and his romantic relationship with Arwen. And um, that is not the first time in the story of the Lord of the Rings, or let's, let's say in the history of Rivendell, that we hear about romantic relationships between elves and humans. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about. And uh, let me see if I can enter the guest house and meet not only Aragorn and Gandalf and Frodo and Gimli and Legolas, but also my friends. And here we are. Aragorn is uh, still looking at the maps on the table, but also here in the same guest room is Inge, Dave, and Laura. So tell me about the relationship between uh, the, uh, well, the elf Arwen and the human Aragorn. Uh, I've, I've heard that this is actually something that, that also took place in the, in the, the ancient history of Middle-earth. Uh, and, and there was a very famous relationship between uh, Baron and Luthien, isn't it, Laura? Yeah, that's true. Uh, Arwen and Aragorn are strikingly similar to Baron and Luthien. And the other interesting thing is both of them are their ancestors. They have these common ancestors from way back, you know, before you get too worried about, you know, inbreeding. It was 6,000 <laughs> years previously. So, okay. <laughs> there's been oh, a so lot wait, of generations. So, so both. Aragorn and Arwen have have uh, identical ancestors. They're both from the same they family. Do. They oh. both are from the same family. Although Arwen um, is much closer, most much more closely related. She's, I think, the great, 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 great granddaughter. Oh, because she's great, an elf. Great great granddaughter, Baron Luthien. Yes, because there's only a few generations with the elves. But um, for Aragorn, it's 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 legendary. Basically, he's not even sure about it um, when he's well, younger. He's... They're basically distant, distant, distant cousins because yes. Aragorn is descended from Elros, and um, Elrond's Arwen brother. is the yeah Arwen's the daughter of Elrond, and Elros and Elrond, of course, are brothers. So they're distant, distant, distant cousins. <laughs> <laughs> Very distant. Interesting. So it, it kind of runs in the family, these uh, relationships between elves and, and humans. So tell me about, uh, uh, introduce me to uh, Baron and, and Luthien. What do we know of these people? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll jump on that one. Um, so Baron and Luthien were, are from the first age. So these are stories that are recounted in the Selmarillion and and. We highly recommend that people, you know, we, we understand that uh, Silmarillion is sort of one of the more difficult works of Tolkien, but I highly recommend people dive into it because Baron and Luthien is sort of the story. This is this is the the biggest, the most important. I think probably I don't I don't know this, but I would say probably Tolkien's favorite story. I mean, it's basically the sort of the central story of of everything, and 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 you know most most of the Lord of the a lot of characters and storylines in the Lord of the Rings can be traced back to Baron and Luthien. So people should definitely go check it out. Um, 
Baron's, Baron is descended from um, one of the three great houses of uh, men, the Adine, who were the men who came west um, uh, after they awoke in Middle Earth and sort of um, uh, turned their backs on Morgoth in the dark and, and went west and formed relationships with the elves and worked together with the elves. Um, and uh, uh, Luthien is the daughter of um, one of the greatest elves in Middle Earth. Um, his his original name is, um, and correct me if I'm wrong on anything, Laura. Uh, his original name is um, Elway Starman, and he takes on the um, the name of Elu Thingol um, after he falls in love with one of the Maya, Melian, and they form a union of an elf and a Maya and they uh, form a realm in the middle of in the middle of Beleriand called um, Doriath. Can for and, for newer listeners can you quickly uh, say something yes. about the Maya and w what what is that? Yes. Absolutely. So the the Maya are, are you know uh, Laura sort of talked a little bit about this last episode the Maya and the and the Valar are are essentially these angelic beings that right. were created by Iru Iluvatar, and they participated in the creation. And some of them descended down sort of from, uh, you know, the uh, plane of existence they were on and entered Middle-earth. But, but weren't, weren't, the weren't the elves created by the, the by, by, by the, how do you call them, the Myers? No, actually, um, uh, as Laura said last time, um, the... Yeah, Luvatar actually created the elves independent of the the, the Valor and the Maiar participated in the creation of just about everything except okay. the children of Luvatar. Right. Yeah. So um, so they have a the, the Valar have a special relationship with the children of Luvatar because they're sort of other than they are. And so they either in the case of the Valar and many of the Maiar, they either love them and take care of them, or in the case of Morgoth and Sauron and people like that, they hate the children of Luvatar. So anyway, um, uh, Luthien's the daughter of Melian and Thingol. Um, she mm -hmm. is called the fairest of the children of Iluvatar, and she is Thingol's sort of um, uh, his greatest love is his daughter, and he is very protective of her. Baron uh, is being pursued at one point by the spies of Morgoth, and um, he manages to uh, enter the king, the hidden kingdom of Doriath. And it's important to understand that Doriath is protected by the power of Melian the Maiar. Um, yeah, she, there's a thing called the Girl of Melian that protects it and basically keeps all unwanted visitors out. And the fact that Baron manages to make it through the girdle and enter Doriath is 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 huge. It's sort of, it's the first sign to the reader, but also to the characters involved that he has some sort of very very important fate uh, on him. Interesting. And while he's entering, oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just uh, a, a bit struck by the fact that normally uh, it it wasn't allowed for 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 humans to to actually enter that that area and that uh, and that but that he did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There. The Thingol was especially. Uh, he. He really. He was sort of. He was kind of a jerk, uh, in a lot of ways. <laughs> was Thingol like, like very protect? Was it just protect protecting his family, uh, and and the other elves, or was it also because he was actually hostile towards humans, uh, dwarves, you know, he, other creatures? He was. He was protective, but you sort of. He was protective, but you see that there's also a, a bias or a, a prejudice against men and against dwarves and other mm -hmm. 
other other peoples of Middle Earth. Um, so Baron runs into Lu- finds Luthien dancing in the forest, and this is just a wonderful story. And I'd love to do more detail, but I should I should race through it. Um, and eventually, Baron and Luthien fall in love almost at first sight, and they go before Thingol, and Thingol says, you know, well, uh, I'm I'm not going to tolerate this. Uh, but it <laughs> sounds like it's a obvious. prototypical, uh, you know, meeting uh, the the family of the bride, right? <laughs> and the dad yeah. doesn't approve. That's exactly right, and so. Um, uh, what he says is, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal because he doesn't want to be, because he promised not to harm Baron. And he's obviously intends to try and put a stop to this. So he tells Baron, I'll make you a deal. Uh, you go get one of the Silmarils off of the Iron Crown of Morgoth up in uh, Angband, and uh, then you can uh, go out with my daughter. Okay, what's and that? The Sil- a Silmaril? The Silmarils are the, the, the three great jewels that were oh, made by okay. Feynor. Um, that uh, that contain the light of the trees from across the sea, and they're sort of the Silmarillion is basically the story of these Silmarils, and they're kind of the uh, central artifact of all of those stories. Whereas the One Ring of of Sauron is the central artifact of the Lord of the Rings. Wow! And, so that um, seems like an impossible quest. So he was actually uh, probably yeah. condemning the guy to his death because yeah, that was I think that was the That's plan. Exactly, is, that was the, the plan exactly. Yeah, right. It's like and going it, to say, "Go get the moon and bring it back, yeah. and then you can marry my daughter." <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you also add the fact that there's some giant monster next to the moon that will just eat you before you even get. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so, uh, so, so he he basically sends him on this impossible quest, and people mm-hmm. should, you know, it, this is actually a very similar kind of quest to what Frodo's doing. Just wander into the central part of, you know, to the realm of evil, to mm-hmm. the very center of it, uh, all by yourself. And in this case, it would be like if Frodo had to go into Mordor, get the ring from Sauron, and then throw it in the volcano. Yeah. So, or even similar to uh, what we see in The Hobbit, where Bilbo has to steal. Well, it's it's a, it's a different. It's not really a quest, but there is some stealing involved. <laughs> you have to go yes. to in the, in the heart of it's darkness a, and and try to basically steal it. something that is extremely dangerous and extremely difficult to obtain. Yeah, that's absolutely right. the The beautiful part of the story is that. He of course succeeds. He goes and manages against all odds to get this, um, uh, to get this, to get the Silmaril. But along the way, he's helped by a lot of people, including Luthien. And it turns out, in fact, that this story becomes more about her than it is about him. In fact, he wouldn't have stood a chance. But Luthien helps him all along the way. She, at one point, he's captured by Sauron, and she goes and saves him from Sauron. And uh, and you know, and that's that's a key thing. Sauron's the the major enemy of Lord of the Rings, and in the Silmarillion, Luthien kicks his butt mm-hmm. uh, he's got a tower and he's got Baron locked in there with some other people and Luthien goes and with the help of this this other character uh, throws down the tower and, and um, uh, basically restrains Sauron and says you know either give me mastery of your tower or I'm going to destroy your body and so Sauron says he gives up and runs away so Luthien actually kicks Sauron's butt Wow! and then uh, and then she helps Baron get into see Morgoth and she sings a song that's one of the most powerful songs of um, uh, of of that anyone's ever sung and mm-hmm. sort of puts him in an enchanted sleep and Baron cuts one of the jewels off and they run away and they manage to uh, they manage to fulfill Thingol's quest against all odds um, and that of course is that's not even where the story ends um, along the way some other things happen and Baron ends up dying and uh, Luthien tells Baron to sort of 
you know, linger in the halls of Mandos, which is where the elves typically go, and it's it's across the sea. And she sings a song that convinces Mandos to let Baron come back to life with her in Middle Earth for a short period of time. And this is sort of the greatest song that's ever sung by anybody. And it's a, it's a song not just about um, uh, Luthien and Baron and their love, but it's a song about the two kindreds, the children of Iluvatar, and the love and the love um, that 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 Baron and Luthien have is sort of emblematic of you know the 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 relationship between the children. And she sings about the grief of the children and the suffering that they go through in Middle Earth with Morgoth. And Mandos, who's sort of this very very stern, judgmental character, um, is actually moved by this song and agrees to let Baron return with Luthien. And so right. they, they actually have a short period of time where get, they get to live together. Now these these uh, stories are actually part of the mythology, you could say, or history mythology of of Middle Earth. And uh, a guy like Aragorn, who's still standing here in front of me, listening to our discussion, uh, be very intrigued. <laughs> well, he of course already knows all this, and uh, he was ex- especially familiar with the. Uh, this the, the history of Baron and Luthien, and perhaps even had a, an emotional connection to that story because it was so similar to his own relation with uh, with Arwen. And I remember in the movie you've got this very touching scene, um, and it's it's in the the extended version of the of the movies, where he's on Weathertop, I think, or near Weathertop with the hobbits, and during the night he's kind of singing a song, and uh, and I remember that uh, Frodo wakes up. And he's intrigued. He listens to the song and he's like, so what are you singing about? And I think that Aragorn at that point uh, tells Frodo or explains that it's about this other impossible love or seemingly impossible love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's, I think he's singing about Baron and Luthien. Yes, that's right. Yep. It's, the, uh, it's called the Lay of Lathian, which is uh, the, isn't the, I think that translates the breaking of bonds or the breaking of chains. Um, yes. And it's, a, yes. it's really well, beautiful. And- in the movie, um, Frodo asks him, who are you singing about? And he says he's singing about Luthien, yeah. an elf woman who fell in love with a mortal man. And then Frodo asks what happened to her, and Aragorn just says, she died. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it's very touching in the movie. And that's the, I mean, that's sort of the central, that's one of the central parts of the story that in the end, by choosing to be with Baron, um, Luthien is choosing a mortal, a mortal life. She chooses to, to, to actually pass on and, and, um, and then leave the circles of the world after she dies the same way that men typically do. And this sort of starts this whole pattern of the half-elven who have a choice the way she did to choose to be accounted among the elder children, which means that they're, you know, they're essentially immortal and they're bound to earth, or they can be accounted among the, the followers, the men who die and pat go, they know not whither. Yeah. And, now um, that's the choice that Arwen faces too. This this whole um, idea of uh, an, an elven human relationship is is not entirely new in literature. And Inga, you did some uh, some research on on this theme in in existing mythology. Can you tell us a little bit about what you found about uh, these these mixed relationships? Yeah, and, while, well, and, and in the meantime, while you are uh, uh, preparing to tell us about that, I'm going to walk outside again. And uh, I'm just going to try to find that one bridge uh, where Arwen and Aragorn kiss. And I'm not sure if I'm going to find it, but it must be somewhere around here. But I'm just going to take a stroll in the 
in the uh, very dark surroundings of uh, and dark in terms of it's it's night but I'm just going to take a stroll outside uh, during the night here in in search for that bridge but tell us about uh, these existing rela- these these mythological relationships yeah if you want to find about uh, those relationships you have to go to yeah, predominantly Norse mythology mm-hmm. and there you um, have the idea that the elves, um, I talked about that, uh, I think, in the first episode we did together. They um, they are kind of divine creatures, a little bit like we think about angels. And uh, it seems like um, that the original elves were, were humans who were raised to the elfhood, uh, or elevated to the elfhood uh, in a way. And so, uh, this way, elves are kind of superheroes, a little bit of the Greek gods, um, of Mount Olympus, who also were kind of superheroes, and like those Greek gods, um, they produced ki- ch- uh, children, mortals. Uh, That's true. You see that in Greek mythology already. That, y- that there are certain relationships between the gods and and humans, and you get these uh, demigods uh, that mm-hmm. that have both human correct characteristics are definitely more vulnerable, um, more fallible, also, but they also seem to have these magical powers. Yeah, it's the same in the Norse mythology. So, uh, if you look at the name of, uh, of royal houses in, uh, in the Viking, uh, time of Vikings, mm-hmm. then you have lots of names that refer back to elves because in Norse... Sorry, you're overpowered a little bit by the, the noise of the, of the waterfall. I'm actually, I should have taken this into account when I went here. <laughs> it's, it's very loud with all that water. Okay, it's, it's a bit more quiet here. You were saying? I was saying that if you look at the lines of kings, that you, if you look at their names, they have elven names, like like for example, Alfred. So if you are uh, called Fred or Alfred, it's actually an elven name. Really? And yeah, <laughs> because the world of elf, A L F, that's yeah. the Norse word for elf. And huh. so you have also the word, uh, the name Ola, Olaf Geirstad Alf. Olaf? Also king. Yeah. And one of one of the kings also is named Gandalf. So that's where the name of Gandalf comes from. That's uh, an elf with a wand, the wand elf. That's Gandalf. Interesting. And uh, so, uh, and there's for example the um, in the saga of uh, Rolf Kraki, there's a king named uh, named Helgi, and he rapes and impregnates uh, an elf woman, and uh, because uh, that's the most beautiful woman he's ever seen, and so you see this. Um, yeah, quite violent, um, yeah, relationships uh, mm-hmm. more often, and yeah. uh, one of those relationships produces a uh, half elf princess called Skuld, who also uh, was very skilled in witchcraft, and also raised uh, an, an army to fight, and was because of her witchcraft invincible in battle. So uh, they needed to take her down before she was ra- raising their, their uh, her army from the dead again. Now, in, the, in these in these mythological stories, is is that a relationship? If, if there are these mixed relationships, is that a relationship, a type of relationship that is always doomed, that is always ending badly, or uh, can it also be beneficial? Yeah, well, I, I cannot really uh, say that because I don't have have seen that uh, in that way. But yeah, when I read about it, it's usually um, um, queens who are who are impregnated by men mm. and then later find out they are elves, so they are kind of yeah misled how do you say that oh okay uh, or, or, yeah. or they uh, people get raped so, so i think that it's not kind of romantic relationship it's I'm more like yeah. what you see in the, in the in the greek saga that 
yeah, it's kind of uh, overpowering. Definitely too violent for for Tolkien's tastes because he yeah. uh, he kind of toned <laughs> it down. There is one similarity that I want to mention, what that I at least see in what you told us, Inge. And that is that usually in these relationships, it's it's kind of the men that that are the leading factor. Uh, uh, Dave or, or Laura, what can you tell us about these um, elven human relationships in 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 Middle Earth? Are, is it always is the elf always uh, female and and the, the male party always human? Uh, almost all the time, the three marriages that took place between an elven woman and a, a mortal man that's true there's there's only three marriages and it's all that way with the elf being the woman but there was a case and this is actually Galadriel's brother who fell in love with a, a mortal woman um, and this is back even before Baron and Luthien so there wasn't any precedent for a elf marrying a, a mortal at that point um, and that, that story ends kind of badly um, they fall in love but they don't get married and basically what happens is he gets slain in battle and decides to wait until the end of Arda in the halls of Mandos he doesn't get resurrected he, he doesn't get re-embodied and she um, she it basically it would it just happened it was a very short affair really in 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 their youth and then It, it ends sadly. So it seems like uh, like uh, Tolkien didn't think it would work very well if it was the other way around, because uh, he thought that the the human woman would be too shamed to be growing old while her male lover stayed eternally young. Right. It's more acceptable for for guys to get old. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, by the way, know, it might also be yeah. might also be a, an extension of his personal experience. Um, he he. So I I have a um, I have a, a a quote from him from one of his letters um, that he wrote where he says that uh, that um, basically he basically Luthien the story of Luthien is inspired by his experience with his wife. Oh really? Um, so Tolkien yes. Tolkien was older than his wife. No, well, no, no, she was older. Actually. Oh, yeah, she, she was, was older. older. Was, but it was more, it, it, what it was is that he felt like he was marrying up, that uh, she was sort okay. of too good for him. And so he, I think he likes that sort of romantic story of the, the man marrying up to the woman who has, you know, significantly more dignity than, right. than uh, he does. Well, she, she was very beautiful. She was 19 and he was 16 when they first met. And his... <laughs> His guardian, because he was an orphan by this time, his guardian, who happened to be a Catholic priest, said, no way are you having anything to do with this, you know, older girl. <laughs> so basically, they were forbidden to see each other until he was 21. Interesting. And we're talking um, three yeah. years, whereas between humans and elves, we're talking sometimes a difference of thousands of years. Thousand years, yeah. <laughs> How can they even talk um, yes. to each other? <laughs> But the other fascinating thing, too, is that um, on uh, on Edith Tolkien's, his wife's grave, it has the uh, mark Luthien, and on his grave it says Baron. So that shows you how important this story was to him. Okay. Mm -hmm. Hey, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I have difficulty focusing on the discussion because I'm so mesmerized by the view. I've discovered this beautiful corner here in, in Rivendell, and I don't think I've ever been here. Uh, there are actually three curved bridges 
they all look very similar and I'm on the lowest one and I'm and there's this this crack in the in the mountainside where there's a, a small waterfall and I'm, I'm and, and and if I look up I can see the last homely house and then three bridges uh, and on different on different levels and it's just stunning and uh, morning is broken here in Rivendell so it's uh, it's early in the morning and I'm just you know gasping at so much beauty and I wouldn't be surprised that one of these bridges was actually the bridge that we see in the movie um, and so I'm just gonna walk up uh, to <laughs> that second bridge <laughs> while, <laughs> while we continue sure our discussion one of them is. yes well and even if it's not we'll just pretend it is <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but this is definitely a very romantic spot here <laughs> and you know what um, Tolkien even though uh, he uh, uh, well, I, I mean, he, the, the the kiss that we see in the movie was not part of the of the original story in the book, and so you might you might think that that Tolkien is not a very romantic type of guy, uh, probably also because he was a, a bit older when he started to write uh, the story of the Lord of the Rings, but um, it seems, uh, as, according to what I read, a lot of his descriptions of Rivendell actually stem from his impressions of a beautiful vacation that he had in Switzerland. And, uh, <laughs> and he's raving. Yeah. yeah, he was raving about the surroundings of this, uh, of the, this place. Where, that he, and he's, I think he spent some vacation there with his wife and some friends or family, I don't recall. Yes, and, and yes that's true, Father. And he took a lot of cues from that particular vacation when he needed to describe Rivendell. And so, Rivendell, it's a little bit like Switzerland in Middle Earth. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> well, it, it, the other interesting thing about uh, Aragorn and Arwen in Lord of the Rings is that, um, you know, unlike the movie where you see her a lot, she only actually has one scene in the entire Lord of the Rings where she speaks. Really? And that's almost at the very end. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the story of Aragorn and Arwen is in the appendix because most of it happens before the events of the Lord of the Rings, uh-huh. before and after. But if, so, if, if, it's, uh, if he expands upon it, it and, and it's, it's very important for the later story of, of uh, Aragorn. Um, it is. Uh, and actually, if you think about it, you're reminded of her influence over him at very key points in the book. Like when, uh-huh. when they're in Rivendell, she's there, although she doesn't speak, but you see the relationship between the two. And then again in Lothlorien, you're reminded of, of her, Galadriel brings her up. And then once, right before he takes the paths of the dead, huh. uh, Arwen sends him a message. So she's always kind of underlying but in, why in wouldn't, the book. Why so, wouldn't Tolkien uh, talk about that a little bit more? If it's so important for Aragorn, why didn't he include that in the in the main story of, of Lord of the Rings? Would it slow down the stuff too much? Would it would it make Aragorn too vulnerable? If it certainly would... certainly couldn't slow it down anymore. <laughs> well, okay. I don't know. Uh, Perhaps even well, Tolkien that's has. A, that's a very good question, um, especially considering how how he did Baron and Luthien in the Silmarillion, because that's kind of the central story there. Whereas Arwen and Aragorn is. Is is in the appendix, so that's a that's a good question, and I don't really have the answer. Well, to it could that. could just but be just that he's just not a, he's not not just not a very romantic guy. He's more interested in in history, and you and know, romance. I, might... I don't think that's exact. I don't think I don't that's know. exactly it. Okay. I think part of it has to do is that he's telling the story, the Lord of the Rings, from the point of view of the hobbits, 
That's true. And they don't really have a lot to do with Arwen. And we're we're a lot more distant from Aragorn. We don't really get to hear his innermost thoughts. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so I think that's part of the reason why that's that's in the appendix. But um, but in the movie, I think they do a good job of bringing her to the forefront because otherwise, you know, it, she is really a very important character in Lord of the Rings, even though she's not she's not sort in the a- forefront. Yeah. But she's not. She's not directly involved in any of the action in the quest. She's, and so, and and I think that's a that's a device Tolkien uses a lot. That he buries things um, sort of mm-hmm. beneath the surface and points to them, and leaves the the reader wondering about them and and sort of trying to to dig beneath rather than just sort of putting everything explicitly on the surface. I you know I do think there's something to what you say, Father, though about Tolkien not being a very romantic guy. I remember reading someplace that that. His relationship with with Edith, although he loved her very much and called her Luthien and all that, on the other hand, I don't I don't know how many very romantic moments they shared. I I understand that she was kind of a stern um, woman and that they you know they had sort of a very prim and proper relationship. So, but I, I you know I don't I don't want to overspeak. I don't really know. Anyway, the, the world that he created it definitely has a, a a couple of very romantic spots. Even though <laughs> later on when we yes. go and travel to the Misty Mountains, we'll get into much harsher environments. But here in Rivendell, my gosh, I'm just standing on the on the upper bridge now, looking down at the water below. There's a huge waterfall on the left side, and I can see these other two bridges, and it's just stunning. I mean, I could just stand here all day long and just look at the water. <laughs> There's kind of a hypnotic uh, effect of, of, of these waterfalls on me. <laughs> it's just so beautiful over here. And... Um, since I'm I'm wa- I'm not far from uh, the the last homely house, I want to walk up to these statues again that we already saw uh, when we first visited uh, Rivendell, and here is the statue of what I think now we can identify without any doubt as a statue of of uh, Luthien who is dancing, and this might refer to that very first encounter that Baron has with Luthien. And apparently it, it made such an impact that uh, they decided to eternalize that in, in, in a statue. And here is the well, second... That's one, of their, that's one of the elves' favorite stories. They love that story. Well, there you it's, go. It's both sad but also wonderful. Yes. And here's that second uh, statue um, of, of an elf, the one with the, the spare, you know, the dangerous spare. Uh, and who was that again? The Gilgalad, I think. Oh yes, Gilgalad. Oh. Gilgalad. Okay. Um, but um, I'm I'm actually I'm walking. I'm not going inside uh, the last homely house again because we've already visited twice now. But I'm going back to that one elf that we encountered, and actually this is relevant to our story because a lot of the uh, action that we see in the movies with Arwen in the books is actually that's actually an elf, right? It, or it's actually one of the male elves that is that that wasn't uh, integrated into the story. Am I am I correct? Ah, Glorfindel. Glorfindel. That that I'm, we're talking about. Yes, I'm meeting him here. He's he's actually standing here near the waterfall. And um, uh, so, tell me about Glorfindel in in the books. <laughs> sure. Um, so uh, Glorfindel is actually uh, this is sort of a you know we talked we touched on this a little bit the last few mm-hmm. weeks um oh we lost somebody um 
we touched on this the last couple of weeks a little bit that he's he actually he ends up being a character who was present also in the Silmarillion and that uh, he's actually an example of an elf who is reincarnated um uh he died fighting a balrog um uh during the fall of um, Gondolin, which is this hidden um, elven city. It was sort of the last hold, it was the last stronghold <clears throat> of the elves in Middle Earth um, during the war with Morgoth. And he actually died, but because he um, was so heroic and he sacrificed his life uh, to, to, to save his friends, the. Um, the Valar sort of gave him the, the, the gift of being reincarnated um, to go back and, and, and help in Middle-earth some more. And also in doing so, they increased his power. And um, that's a large part of why we see both in the books and the films and other places that the, the, the nine riders um, flee before him. Right. And, um, and Glorfindel is actually the one who saves Frodo, right, when he get, gets uh, uh, injured. By, by the, um, sort, the of, sort of, kind of. They uh, he he saves him by putting him on his elven horse and. Well, sending there you go. That's exactly what we see Arwen do, and then he is the one who who uh, he, who conjures up the the waters, right? To 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 get rid of the the uh, ring wrath. No, that's it, Gandalf. Gandalf. Oh, was that Gandalf? Does, yeah. Oh, okay. I'm confused the, then. The waters sort of happen. The waters sort of happen because of Elrond's power on the valley, and Gandalf sort of adds some embellishments, the horses and whatnot. Glorfindel basically simply what happens is that you know um, some of the riders enter the river and and they sort of stop because Frodo is defying them, and that gives the water time to wash them away. But there's still five riders left on the bank, and mm-hmm. what happens is Aragorn and Glorfindel drive them into the water. Um, and so that's the Glorfindel's role is to sort of send Frodo away on the horse and then also take care of the riders who aren't initially washed away. Yeah. I actually uh, really I, yeah. I have a question for you guys. Sure. Why sure. if if Glorfindel is so awesome and you know has uh, has killed a, a Balrog in his past, why doesn't Elrond send him on the quest? <laughs> Well, because obviously Pippin and Merry are much more logical choices. Yeah. Well, I mean, why, why would they send Pippin when they could be sending Glorf, Glorfindel? Uh, maybe, maybe Elrond, uh, yeah, could make Glorfindel go because he's also very, very powerful. Very, I mean, how do you say well, high and, in the hierarchy? And I think that mm-hmm. there's there's always this uh, uh, doubt that you see with uh, a lot of the people surrounding. Uh, Frodo and his friends uh, about taking up this quest because they are, they are they are extremely afraid, just like Gandalf is afraid of that that actually the ring might corrupt them and that and because they are so powerful and and Glorfindel is a, is a very powerful elven. If they ever got seduced by the ring in some situation, uh, the ring might actually use their powers and, and, and might cause much more damage than uh, would be the case if, if, if Frodo stays, you know, the, the bearer of the ring. And so I, 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 you see a lot of these powerful people actually shy away of that adventure. And, and that's why they are, you know, even Gandalf has a, just a sigh of relief when Frodo says, well, I'll do it. <laughs> well, he's... And I think the the other mess, the other sort of subtle thing going on is that that Elrond and, and Gandalf sort of recognize that that these kind these things are going to be accomplished by the weak and the the humble. That, that this is sort of yes. the time of the goofy little hobbits to rise up and and manage to do what the most powerful and wise haven't been able to do all this time. And they sort of they sort of recognize, you know, I don't know why, but. Yeah. I think sending along these hobbits is like 
I'm sorry, I can't hear you anymore because of the water. <laughs> I keep yeah. forgetting that I shouldn't walk up to waterfalls while we're talking. <laughs> but, you know, I think there's also something very profound in that whole storyline that the ring is all about power. And, and the ring itself almost has a, has a, uh, a personality. And the ring doesn't understand weakness, doesn't understand a hobbit and <laughs> the lifestyle of a hobbit. And even though it, it, it corrupts Bilbo, for instance, a little bit, it never gets the same hold over Bilbo as it as it had over over other uh, uh, personalities and other characters in in the history of the of the Ring. And so I I don't know, but wasn't um, Schmeagol uh, wasn't that on Hobbit as well? Yes, but Schmeagol is is almost a corrupt. We don't exactly know what's what Schmeagol was, and and if he is a you know, a, a hobbit or some kind of a half-breed it might actually... I don't know. <laughs> it's a, it, he does, definitely has the, the same ears as, as hobbit ha- hobbits have. Well, remember, yeah. I, the, I think they, they point out that the, 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 the key difference with Bilbo is that he began his possession of the ring with an act of mercy. Act of violence, yes. And, but, and, and Smeagol by an act of violence. Exactly, he, he killed, yeah. He killed his brother. Um mm-hmm. And so that that immediately gives uh, the ring a lot more power. But but then again, you know, the ring was almost a little bit, also a hostage of of Schmeagol because, in the end, the ring couldn't do much damage for a very very long time. And it was only later on, when Frodo gets the ring, and and the ring again is in the in the vicinity of these very powerful people like Gandalf, like the elves. That is where things really get dang- uh, get dangerous, and I remember there's this this moment in with the wood elves, right? Where, yeah, yeah. Uh, where Galadriel. Uh, Galadriel is actually yeah. tempted for a for a very short moment to to take the ring, and then sh- she also steps away, and she's like, oh, "I shouldn't, I shouldn't do this," because the ring mm-hmm. would get so dangerous and so powerful. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, I think looking at uh, uh, the day progress and sun is... Uh, the, the days are going by very fast here in, in Rivendell. I think it's time for me to get on my horse. And we have to uh, leave for our next adventure in Middle-earth. And and for that adventure, I, I would like to uh, go to the Misty Mountains, not far away from, uh, from Rivendell. And... Uh, I just called my horse, which is a much faster way, actually, to move around here in, in Rivendell. But while I journey to uh, to the gates that uh, separate Rivendell and protect Rivendell also from the creatures that live in the Misty Mountains, let me ask you one final question. What is the importance of this whole theme of, you know, the relationship between humans and elves why would humans even bother? Is is there is is it a kind of a way for humans to gain extra power? Is it or or do elves actually pursue these relationships because they actually are jealous of 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 humans because of the intensity of 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 their love because the the uh, human lifespan is very short. So, uh, what are your thoughts about that? Um. What it, Inga, what do you what themes do you see in the, the 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 sort of more traditional mythologies? I mean, what's the driving force behind those relationships there? Yeah, I think just pure um, instinct, lust, uh, mostly. Um, men who who um, yeah rape elven women 
hmm. uh, because of uh, because of the, the beauty, and then they follow their instinct, uh, so to say. And, right. Yeah. So and I, and I think Tolkien sort of takes that and and adds a a slight twist to it. In it's 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 less banal than than lust, and it's hmm. more just. They're so taken by the, the the fairness and the beauty of these, you know, of the of the elves that there's sort of this longing in all the children of Iluvatar to to access the 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 sort of bliss um, the of of the West of Valinor of Iluvatar of creation, mm -hmm. and um, within the circles of Arda, the 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 firstborn, the elves, sort of have have that a little more than the men do, and so the men sort of the men kind of look up to the elves in almost the same way the elves look up to the Valar and and I think that's sort of part of it and then particularly when you I guess when you have a, a male human and a female elf that there's there's also the romance enters into it well and and in a way uh, there, there there might be this fascination of humans for the elves but the other way around it, I mean the the opposite is true as well the elves are fascinated by humans and even though some of the elves might be um might have a little bit of a let's say a hostile attitude towards humans um mm -hmm. like uh what's his name again the thingol um yep and 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 in a way thingol reminds me of elrond in in at least the elrond that we see in the movie who seems to be again warning his daughter arwen for you know this relationship and and it it, it definitely reminds me of the yes. attitude that thingol had Yes, I think the Elrond of the movie is much more like Thingol uh, of, of the books. Yes. Thingol-ish, yes. You know, and and in a way, the Arwen of the movie is also more like Luthien <laughs> mm -hmm. of the books, too. More of a go yeah. yeah. Yeah, she has much less of a passive role. Than Fortunately for us, otherwise it would be uh, quite boring, I think, if, uh, if Arwen would <laughs> oh, yeah. be extremely well, that, passive and never saying you know, anything. That's one thing they did in the movie that I actually can, I actually kind of like it. I, I think they went back to the story of Baron and Luthien and they brought some of that in for Arwen. They brought mm -hmm. in some of the Luthien characteristics good for, for Arwen. Good for us. Yeah. But there's also, and you see that with Arwen, there is this will to actually give up her own elvish you know prerogative of 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 living forever well, she, etc for, for she's love. one of the half elven so she has that choice and so do her brothers although oh, okay. that's not addressed in the oh, book she I didn't can choose that. what she wants to be right okay that, that i wonder explains. if she, El, she Elrond is trying to elrond is trying to dissuade her mm -hmm. from choosing mortality mm -hmm. yeah. but but elrond's own brother choose to be mortal Right, so right, that right, right, that right. runs in the family, <laughs> but it's something. I mean, there's something extremely romantic about the idea of giving up your own immortality for love, because you just love this man, and and you you know, <laughs> you don't care as long as you can be with the the person you love. You're, you're ready to give up even what makes your life so unique, and and it's basically giving up some of the most precious things of 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 your life. Um, mm -hmm. For for love, I to me the, to me the end of the story was really touching because at the end uh, Aragorn dies because he just is mortal and yeah he's, he has a shorter lifespan and so she's so bitter about it so she goes back to Lothlorien, uh, w w which is yeah also fading away because uh, Galadriel left already and I think she uh, lies down there and dies uh, there oh, as really? well. Okay. But uh, he does say something to her at the end, which reminds her that um, 
you know, beyond death there is hope. He says, um, in sorrow we must go, but not in despair. For behold, we are not bound forever to the circles of the world, and beyond them is more than memory. And with these profound words, I think it's time for me to leave the protective surroundings of Rivendell. I'm here at the the big gate uh, north of Rivendell to Elven are is it actually elves or Elven? I think it's Elven, right? The plural <laughs> are uh, standing guard here, keeping uh, keeping Rivendell safe. And if I go through this gate, we're going to ride up the mountain to the entrance of uh, the Misty Mountains. And uh, in the meantime, while I'm doing that. I want to thank our listeners for, uh, again, downloading this show. And I want to remind you that all our previous episodes can be found both on iTunes. Just look for Secrets of Middle-Earth. And on our website, secrets.sqpn.com. And on secrets.sqpn.com, not only you will find The Secrets of Middle-Earth, but also a lot of other shows that are dedicated to books like Harry Potter or movies like Star Wars. And we might even do Narnia and similar stories in the future so go over to sqpn.com while i'm turning mm, let's see i gotta go east here and my horse is getting a little bit anxious because yes we are definitely leaving the sunny valley of rivendell moving up north and it's getting already a slightly colder vegetation is is diminishing because we're moving up and up and up still hear some birds but the colors are definitely turning to gray and white and now the pine trees are taking over and uh, the misty mountains are very dangerous surroundings lots of creatures and even monsters uh, in this area of middle earth and uh Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but there are even legends or stories about giants living in the Misty Mountains. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Stone giants that that hurl great boulders at each other. And you don't want to be caught in the middle of that. Hmm. Yeah, we hear about them in The Hobbit, but only in passing. And we never get the details, but perhaps if we explore these Misty Mountains next time on The Secrets of Middle-Earth we might bump into one of these giants. Wouldn't that be cool? I hope they won't throw rocks at us because then it, you know, would put a short, a, a quick end to the episode. <laughs> anyway, I've arrived here in the harsh, cold environments of the Misty Mountains. And if you want to explore these areas with us, tune in next time uh, to The Secrets of Middle-Earth. Thank you for listening. See you next time. And uh, Laura, do we have a quote to end this episode? Uh, yes, we do. It's from The Hobbit. Uh, it does not do to leave a live dragon out of your calculations if you live near him. Very well. Thank you very much to Dave, Laura, and Inge for joining us on this episode of The Secrets of Middle-Earth. I'm uh, continuing my trip here in the Misty Mountains, and I say goodbye. See you next time. And until then, God bless. I regret to announce this is the end.
going now. I bid you all a very fond farewell. SQPN, leading the way in Catholic new media.